Good morning, and welcome to the Truth and Love radio broadcast. This program has been a part of the Mid-South for the last 70 years, faithfully overseen by the Getwold Church of Christ. Truth and Love will carry on lifting up the banner of New Testament Christianity today to the Mid-South area under the oversight of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. Please join us now as Mike Hickson opens the Bible and shares the truth in love. What is the purpose of life? There are many people today that grapple with that very question. I suspect that there are millions of people today in our world that if they were to be totally honest, would say, I just don't understand what life's all about. They're looking for happiness, satisfaction, contentment, the American dream, if you please. And yet, for many people, there is this constant void. I want to talk for a little bit in our lesson today about the purpose of life. And really, the title of our study today, Getting a Grip on Life. One of the great treasures in the Old Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, as you well know, was a man that had the opportunity to experience a lot of different things in life. Solomon was a man of great power, popularity. He had incredible wealth. He immersed himself in the pleasures of life. And yet, from his vantage point, his response was, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In our study today, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 11, beginning in verse 9, and we will make our way down to the end of chapter 12, considering together getting a grip on life. When I look at the book of Ecclesiastes, what really stands out in my mind is the fact that the ancient penman had the opportunity to literally place life under a microscope, to analyze it from various perspectives, and then to draw some conclusions. So what I want to do first and foremost is to consider with you that there are some choices in life. Now listen to what the wise man said many years ago, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. So here's a question. When is the best time to remember the Creator? Well, according to the wise man, the time to remember God is in youth. That is, when we're young. Well, why would that be the case? What's so important about remembering our Creator when we're young. 
Well, I think the answer lies in the fact that as we grow older in life, it becomes much more difficult to change. Sometimes we become settled in our ways. We're not open to any kind of change. And yet when we're young, the heart is often pliable, yielding, if you please, to the will of God. You know, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, a young man by the name of Timothy. And the Bible tells us that Timothy was the product of a home of faith. You remember Paul said, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. But he goes on to say that it dwelt first in his grandmother Lois, and then in his mother Eunice. And then he would say in verse 5, and I am persuaded in you also. If you turn over to chapter 3 at verse 15, Paul in writing to Timothy said, and that from childhood, from infancy, or from the time of your youth, you knew the Holy Scriptures. And he said that they have the ability to make one wise unto salvation. Timothy became familiar with the Word of God at a very early age. Now, I remember Moses back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 instructing Jewish parents to instill in their children a knowledge of God. You remember he said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And he said, You shall teach them diligently to your children when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, Moses was saying to the nation of Israel, that they had the responsibility of ingraining in the lives of their children God's Word. Now, there are so many different forces at work in the world today. What we want to do is to try to shape and to mold our children in the direction of Almighty God. You remember Solomon said, train up a child when he's young. Well, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 at verse 4, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What a grave responsibility rests upon us. And to try to teach, instruct, mentor, and guide our children. To show them what it means to love God with all of their heart, soul, and mind. What it means to live a Christ-like life what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we ask the question, when is the best time to remember the Creator? The best time is in one's youth, when we're young, when we haven't become hardened to the things of this world. But then there is another thought here, and that is the threat of rejecting the Creator. I said a minute ago, the time to begin serving God is in youth. Because you see, the devil is lurking about, and the devil is doing everything within his power to take people captive into a life of sin. 
The Bible speaks to us in a very plain and concise way about the danger of being captivated by the lies of Satan. You know, Peter said many years ago, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And yet Peter would admonish to withstand him steadfast in the faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles, that is, against the schemes, methodologies of the devil. What are the lures used by the devil in trying to capture both young and old alike in this world? Will you remember what John said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15? Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He said, they're not of the Father, but are of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abides forever. Individuals who literally hook their wagon to the world are identifying with a system that will not stand the test of time. James, in writing in chapter 1 of his inspired word, or rather, his inspired book, said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust. Lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. The devil knows how to make sin look so appetizing and so alluring. And there are so many people that get caught up in the web of sin. Look at the number of people in our country today that are enslaved to alcohol. And then add to that the countless millions of people that are addicted to various types of narcotics, chemical substances, I mean, there's just an endless array of methods that the devil uses to entrap, to ensnare people. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34, that those who commit sin literally are the bondservants of sin. I know what the devil says. The devil says you don't want to serve God because he's going to bind you from doing what you want to do in this life. He's going to restrict you from having fun, to the contrary. No, when the Lord sets forth warnings in his word, those warnings are intended to keep us on the safe pathway in this life. The devil's doing everything that he can to exploit and destroy the souls of mankind. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When the serpent beguiled Mother Eve, as well as Adam. Death made its entrance into the world. Since that time, there has been a proliferation of pain and suffering, the miseries of the human family. All of that, the result of the destructive work of the tempter, the one Jesus identified in Matthew chapter 13 as 
the wicked one, the enemy. No wonder Paul counseled in Ephesians 4 at verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Now, when we talk about the threat of rejecting the Creator, there is always the danger of being captivated by the lies of Satan. But then, secondly, there is the danger of becoming calloused to the love of the Savior. Did you know that God is interested in your soul? In a day and time when it may be that we feel isolated and alone, in a world of some 7 billion people, to realize that there is a God in heaven who is genuinely interested in our plight here on planet Earth. So much so that he invested in us as members of the human family. Well, how so? Well, you remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, at verse 18? That Christ also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. The Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 2, verse 9, that Jesus tasted death for every man. And listen to this. The Bible teaches that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God in his heart of heart, in his heart of hearts, wants you personally to be saved. He's interested in your well-being. The Lord does not want you to be lost, doesn't want you to live in a lost condition, doesn't want you to be a slave of the devil. Listen to what Jesus said many years ago. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, he'll give you rest. Rest from the burden and weariness of a life of sin and unrighteousness. The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, here's a question to consider. If God is genuinely interested in me as a human being, and God wants me to enjoy fellowship with him, then what would I need to do to be in harmony with my creator? Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The road to salvation, the hope for fellowship with the Father, runs through Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus would say in John chapter 10, at verse 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus would say that he was the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Now, since God is interested in us, he wants us to come to believe that he is exactly who he claimed to be. Well, who was that? The Son of God. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples on one occasion about his identity. He wanted to know what people thought of him. Their response was, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked this very powerful, penetrating, profound question. 
but whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. In John chapter 8, here's what the Lord said. Except you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. We have to come to understand that Jesus is the divine Son of God. Does it matter? Yes, it does. Because Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. So number one, we have to come to believe that he is the Son of God. And then secondly, we have to be willing to turn from a life of sin and unrighteousness. On Pentecost Day, when the people present in Jerusalem heard the gospel, you remember the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. They were pricked in the heart. They were convicted of sin. And they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter, being guided by the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, directed them first and foremost to repent. Now, they believed in the Lord. They'd put him to death. But Peter said, you need to repent. Repentance is a change of mind, followed by a change in actions. You remember we said a moment ago, the time to remember the Creator is in youth. Because it's quite possible that as time marches on, we become so entrenched in a life of sin, and our lives are so filled with the pleasures of sin, that we will not walk away from that lifestyle. Unwilling to repent, unwilling to yield to the overtures of the Creator. And yet Peter said, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul, in his great sermon on Mars Hill, said in Acts chapter 17, The times of ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts 17, verse 30. And then to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. Well, what is that? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Acts chapter 8, verse 37 tells us that the eunuch in the long ago made that great confession. And then we are to be immersed or baptized into Christ. This is a major sticking point for some people because they ask the question, you mean to tell me that I have to be baptized into Christ in order to be saved? Why? Well, because the Lord commanded it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, you remember Peter and the apostles. They had been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 16, 19. Matthew 18, verse 18. And so guided by the Holy Spirit, they instructed those people on Pentecost Day, number one, to repent. But number two, he said, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? It means to do it by his authority. And so based upon the authoritative word of the Lord, the command was to repent and be baptized. Well, what was the promise? To enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of sins. Furthermore, those who were baptized on Pentecost Day in Jerusalem, as spoken of by Luke in Acts 2, the Bible tells us they were added to the church. Acts 2, verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So when you comply with the conditions set forth in the Scriptures, by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized into Christ, you become a member of the blood-bought body of Christ. 
And by the way, it's the blood that washes away our sins, Ephesians 1 verse 7. But we can only appropriate that blood when we go where it was shed. It was shed in death, John 19, 34 and 35. So in Romans 6 verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. My prayer for you today is that if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you will do that this day. Now, there's a second thing that we want to talk about. Number one, there are choices in life. But number two, there are changes in life. Listen to what the Creator has to say. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. What the writer's going to say is the outward man, that is this physical tabernacle of human flesh. Our soul is the inward man, the spirit. So you have the outward man and the inward man. And what Solomon says here is that the outward man is subject to change. David, many, many years ago, made a statement that I've come to appreciate as I've grown older in life. David said, I was young, but now I'm old. In a very poetic way, Solomon describes for us the aging process. And the hard truth of the matter is no one, escapes the aging process. There are no exclusions, black or white, rich or poor, male or female. We all experience aging in life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you remember Paul talked about how the outward man is perishing. Listen now to what Solomon said. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, As we grow older in life, sometimes the body begins to tremble and shake. The strong men bow down. We begin to stoop. We're not as erect as we once were. When the grinders cease because they're few, we lose our teeth. And those that look through the windows grow dim. That is, our eyesight is not nearly as good as it once was in the days of our youth. When the doors are shut in the streets... And the sound of grinding is low. We don't hear as well as we once did. When one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. I've had people tell me as they've grown older in life, as they reach the sunset years of life, they don't sleep nearly as good as they did in days gone by. Then he goes on to say, when they're afraid of height. As we grow older, we're not nearly as daring as we once were. You know, when you're young, you'll take chances. As you grow older, you recognize that, you know what, I better be very careful. And then he said, not only are we afraid of height and of terrors in the way, when the almond tree blossoms, our hair begins to turn gray if it, does, if it doesn't turn loose. The grasshopper is a burden. We don't have the strength and stamina that we once did, and desire fails. Now listen. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Remember your Creator before, before the silver cord is loosed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, 
or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. In a very poetical way, Solomon has talked about the aging process common to all of us. And yet, life always ends the same way. It always ends in death. The Hebrew writer said many years ago, it is appointed unto man once to die. After this comes the judgment. Job made this remarkable statement. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. The brevity of life. You remember what James said? Comparing life to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. I remember hearing an individual who said he was asked on his 65th birthday, what's the most profound thing that you've learned in life up until this point in time? His response, the brevity of life. We could all say that. We come face to face with our mortal existence. But even though the outward man may perish, Paul said the inward man is being renewed day by day. You might ask the question, how's that possible? Well, it's true that the outward man grows older, begins to diminish in strength and capacity, but that inward man, feeding constantly upon the Word of God, praying earnestly to God, spending time in private and public devotion to the Lord, oh, that inward man, can be as strong and vibrant as it ever was. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Consider now the third very important point. There is a conclusion to life. I mentioned just a moment ago the frailty of life. The fact that at some point in time, we will check out of this world, whether we like it or not, because that's exactly what Solomon said. The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God. Now, I want you to very carefully consider this. Note, if you would, what the writer says down in verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. All right, let's put life into perspective. You remember we asked the question, what's the purpose of life? I mean, what's it all about? Here's what Solomon said, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. Some translations say, for this is man's all. Checkout time is coming. We're going to leave this world and we're going to check into another world. That is the realm of eternity in light of the brevity of life in light of, in many respects, the futility of life. Consider now what Solomon said. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. Did you know that we all have a date with destiny? Again, the Hebrew writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die. After this comes the judgment. 
Do you know why it's so important for us to remember the Creator? To begin remembering the Creator in the days of youth? Because we're going to leave this world one day. And we're going to be held accountable to a righteous God. Now, bear in mind, Abraham said in the long ago, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God's going to do what's right. But we've got to make sure that our lives are being lived in harmony with the will of God so that one day we can hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So to get a grip on life, to understand life is about living for God. We live for God so that one day we may live with God. I hope and pray that our study today has benefited you. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you, obey the gospel. Remember the Creator before it's too late. God bless. Thank you for listening today. We would love to have you visit with us at the Olive Branch Church of Christ located at 9100 East Sandridge Road, Olive Branch, Mississippi, 38654. We meet for Sunday Bible study at 9 a.m. Worship is at 10 a.m. Sunday afternoon study is at 1 p.m. Tuesday morning class, Bible class, is at 10 a.m. Wednesday evening Bible class at 7 p.m please visit our website, www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org.